Adventure, it is great to see you here today. Those of you who are in the room worshiping live in this moment, it's great to see you. Those of you who are joining us online, many of you worshiping live with us right now. From wherever you're coming from, I'm grateful that you're with us as well. Today, we launch a brand new, a brand spanking new uh, sermon series. It's called Family Matters, and I just want to let you know I have been excited about this, been gearing up for this, been looking forward to this for a while, especially this last couple of weeks because I've been living vicariously through a whole bunch of your social media posts as you've been sharing pictures about all the fun places your families have been going and celebrating each other and time away. Uh, on spring break. I think this week is the uh, week that all the school systems back in Hamilton County are going back into school. And so some of you might even be still traveling today. And if you're joining us online from a distance away, I'm grateful that you're here. And I'm a little bit jealous of the pictures that I've been seeing. It's been fun, though. It's been kind of cathartic to look at those pictures. It feels like We've just been groaning for this moment. For the last year, so many plans have been changed and canceled and family get-togethers not happening this past year. This has just kind of been fun to watch this. And it's been fun to see families playing together and having fun together and recharging their batteries together. So the tagline of this series that we are going to be using for six weeks, you're going to hear me say this. We're talking about matters of the family because families matter. Isn't that cute? I love that, kind of a play on words there. Actually, those last couple of words, that's the title of the message today. Families do matter. We're going to dive into that today, and I would invite you to be thinking thoughts right now about your nuclear family, your family of origin, and a little bit later even we're going to broaden this and talk about the family of God, this church family that we all so dearly love. Let me ask you a question, though, before we dive into that. How many of you grew up in a home that had some of those creepy, old-timey ancestors' pictures somewhere on the wall? Or maybe grandma and grandpa had some of those pictures. I see a few hands going up. I remember some of those when I was a kid. Our very own David Smith, Pastor David, has one of these hanging in his office. When I walk into his office door, he's got these ancestor pictures right here. It's even got the curved glass on the front. And so it feels like no matter where I walk in the room, their eyeballs follow me. Do you know these pictures? You know what I'm talking about? Well, all you need to do if you don't know what I'm talking about is simply Google creepy family photos. The internet is just a treasure trove of this. I did that this last week. I want to share with you some of the top hits that I saw. These are creepy family photos. These are old-timey, probably 1870s, 80s, 90s, somewhere in there. Pictures. I think this is a boy wearing a girl's dress. That's just what they did back then. Let's look at the next picture. Here's This one's a little bit creepy, right? Of course, it's old-timey. It's all pixelated because, well, it was a long time ago. They've come in close on some of the faces here. And why are people so stern in these old-timey pictures, right? Next picture. Here's more of a, I guess, candid shot. They're outside, but nobody's smiling. Everybody just kind of looks like they're mad to be here. We're going to talk about why that happened in some of these old-timey pictures here in a minute, but here's, I think I've got one more. These people, actually, this family sat for the photograph, and then they're all just kind of staring straight ahead, unblinking, just looking at the camera. This is how they took pictures back then. Why are they so stern? Better question, why in the world were you hanging these pictures on your walls? Was it just to creep out the grandkids? Is that what this was all about? I remember seeing these when I was a little boy, and oh my goodness. 
Hairstyles change, right? I mean, family photographs today and yesteryear, you can see the progression of time through these. Grandmas and grandpas, moms and dads, I don't know if you know this, but apparently the mullet is coming back. It's making a comeback. I'm watching the NCAA final game, and I holler out to Dawn, oh my goodness, that guy right there, he, he's got a mullet. So my high school pictures, prom pictures, the pictures in the, the, the school directory, the, the yearbook, I'm back, baby. The mullet is coming back. Clothing's change. Clothing style changes. I'm going to we didn't take a spring break trip with our family. Easter was in the middle of spring break, plus we've got all these college uh, school schedules now. We just didn't make that happen this year. But we did take a one-day trip to uh, the mall, actually. We stayed the night next to the Keystone Fashion Mall, and early that next morning, I'm walking through the mall with one of our boys who doesn't sleep in either, and we're kind of roaming the mall. And I see this. I snapped a photograph of it. And this mannequin right here, I'm pretty sure I went to high school with that girl. <laughs> She's wearing the mom jeans. She's got the Guns N' Roses t-shirt on. There's all the 80s paraphernalia going on right here. Styles change. Haircuts change. Clothing changes, but apparently it all comes back around. Don't throw away your old clothes, right? I, I, I've got some pictures, actually, I, I found uh, this last week. One of our staff members found an old church directory from our church. I think this was published the same year we inhabited this building that you're sitting in right here. So this would be right around the year 2000. Some of your pictures are in here. Can I just say I can be bribed? I can be bribed. Uh, my favorite candy bar happens to be an Almond Joy. So if you're wanting to get your hands on some of these old photographs, I can be bribed. I sent a text out to our elder team this last week. I said, speak now or forever hold your peace. Some of your photos are in here, and I want to have some fun with them. These are about 20 years old, prove that hairstyles change, that clothing changes. Turnabout's fair play, so I thought, well, I'll show you an old picture of me first, and then, you know, we're kind of all in this together. This is my family, actually, for a photograph in a church directory, probably about 10 years before this one went to print. This is my mom and dad. I'm one of four kids. I'm the oldest. My brother Mike, my sister Heather, my younger brother Christopher. We called him Topher when he was that age. Yesterday was National Siblings Day, I think, fondly of this group of people. But let's go back to our elders. Let me show you some old pictures of these guys. This is the Frank Runyon family. I love this. I love everything about this photograph. I love the matching jean, the matching denim outfits. That screams the year 2000. I love that. Who else do we have here? We've got the Jamie Stuber family. They have three kids now. And, um, like, if you look closely, maybe you can see they're not even a gleam in Daddy's eye at that point. Jamie looks like he could be a kid himself in this photograph. This is about 20 years ago. Who else do we have here? Oh, yeah, we've got the Shane Peterson family, but this would be his family of origin. This is his dad, Alan, who I believe served an elder about that time in our church. Shane serves as an elder today. He's all grown up now and serves as an elder in our church. And Shane, I love this shirt you got going on right here. I'm pretty sure I had that same shirt. He's a handsome young man. Who else do we have? Oh, some of you who have been around Venture for a while, you'll recognize this crew. This is 
our, our senior pastor of 30 years, Mark Wright, Sarah Wright, his wife, their lovely three kids, circa about the year 2000. I love everything about the glasses, the middle part. I guess that's back now. Ladies, right? That's coming back. Um, some of you have asked me, how is Mark doing? I've had that conversation, I feel like weekly, the last several weeks. Let me just say they're doing great. I had lunch with Mark not long ago, a couple weeks ago. He texted me on Friday. This was his text, keep busting it, man. Doesn't that just sound like Mark? Those of you who know him well, you can kind of hear that in those words. You can hear his voice as he says that. I love everything about old pictures like this. Technology changes. Our photos look more natural now, especially compared to those old-timey pictures we were looking at, because we're more used to candid shots now. We're all carrying cameras in our phones, in our pockets. If you go back to like the 1870s and the 80s and 90s and you look at those pictures, it feels like they were projecting a false reality then. They had to stand really still for those photographs because there was a long exposure time, so they were just kind of trained to look forward. And we're tempted to think that people back in that age, they didn't laugh. Well, here's the thing. I found an article this last week, like a grad student from the 1890s, and somehow he had rigged up a camera inside his coat jacket, walked around the city somewhere, I think it was like in Sweden, and he got candid photographs of people from that era. Let me show you some of these. Like this guy right here. Let's go back one, that real quick. You can see he's all jovial there and smiling. He's top hat and cane walking around the city streets, and he's smiling. Who else do we have? We've got these, this group of people laughing, just kind of looking directly at him, smiling. I guess people smiled back then. What else do we have here? Even babies smiled in the 1890s. Go figure. Another picture, I think. Here's a candid picture of a family just kind of having fun out in the sunshine on a day. We've got crazy cat ladies in the 1890s, candid shots there as well. Here's the deal. Family dynamics have been shaping us for a very long time now. You have been shaped by your family of origin. The Bible talks about this. Actually, you could go to the Ten Commandments. You could find these in Exodus 20. You can also find it in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And the Ten Commandments, specifically the first two commandments, say, listen, don't have any other God before me, and don't make a graven image. Don't make an idol to represent a false god. And it's in the context of that that God gives this specific instruction. Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Huh. Of those who hate me. But it goes on. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What's going on there? There are some folks over the centuries who have supposed that um, maybe that's a theological statement there about the nation of Israel as they get ready to go into the promised land that, listen, for a thousand generations, we're going to reign. God's going to reign here supreme, and he's going to show love to us as we keep the commandments. But what's that whole language about up to the third and the fourth generation? The sins of the Father continue on. Well, I don't know, is it nature? Is it nurture? Maybe there's something embedded here, uh, a dynamic of family psychology that we could unpack. And that was written about 3,400 years long before Sigmund Freud became a gleam in his daddy's eye. Family dysfunction tends to run in family lines, right? 
Alcoholism tends to run in family lines. Verbal abuse. If you grew up in a home where dad lost his cool and he'd yell and scream, maybe your kids have some stories there as well. The sins of the fathers and the mothers visit the kids up to the third and the fourth generation. Is it nature? Is it nurture? It's important that we wrestle through this because our families shape us. They just do. They shape us profoundly. I'm talking right now about your family of origin. So as we dive into this series, simply be aware you're a product of your experiences. Let's talk about how you're a product, how our families shape us. Here's a couple of ways they shape us. First of all, birth order shapes us. How many of you happen to be the firstborn in your family? Let me see your hands, firstborn kids. Yep, I'm one of those. There are decades of research on birth order and on its impact on the child and the adult development. It's been suggested that the oldest children, or maybe the only child, that syndrome as well, are likely to grow up to be things like, like good leaders. Sometimes they do well in school. They're high achievers. Sometimes they grow up to be the, quote, good kids. They're the ones who follow the rules. They can also be, though, anxious. They can walk on eggshells around others. They can be sensitive to authority. They can tend to be self-critical. Why? Because for the first few years of their life, until that second sibling comes along, they bear the full brunt of their parents' expectations and emotions. Be aware, firstborn children, how this might affect you even into adulthood. Secondborn kids, how many of you are the second child in your family? I love that. Oftentimes, you're described as rebellious. Anybody relate to that? Sometimes you're described as pushing the boundaries. Sometimes you question authority. You buck the system. There's this theory, actually, that our whole country, think about this. I hadn't thought about this until this last week. I read this article that was talking about how, you know, you've got a nation of immigrants that come to our country. They left the old world. Firstborn children stayed there because they were working the family farm or the family business. It was the secondborn kids that came to America. And they pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps a little bit, right? They made things happen. It was a land of opportunity. And uh, that might have actually shaped the early beginnings of our country. It's no surprise that they found kindred spirits and they were ready to start a revolution. But just like the firstborn, secondborn kids, well, oftentimes they're bouncing off the first, and their identity comes from being unlike the first child, the anti-good child. Be aware of that, secondborn kids. The middle child. How many of you would categorize yourself as the middle child? If you are, if there are three kids in your family of origin, and well, you're also you're the second child, you're also the middle. Sometimes this is labeled as the forgotten child. Would anybody just recognize that I'm here, please? Mom, Dad, Bueller. Bueller, does anybody hear me? And oftentimes this carries into adulthood as well. How about the baby? Any babies of the family? Oh, everybody loves the baby, right? We all wanted to parent you. You had a bunch of parents, not just your natural-born parents, but all those older siblings who were telling you what to do and when you were little changing your diaper and helping parent you. All eyes on me look at the baby. But sometimes this can lead to anxiety because others were always stepping in and taking care of them. And then as an adult, they wrestle with some of those things as well. Your birth order, your family of origin shapes you profoundly. Be aware of that, especially moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, how you parent, 
how your grandparent is still even, well, affected by your family of origin. What else shapes us? Our families are profoundly shaping us. Sometimes emotional wounds shape us. Emotional wounds are about what you particularly learn to be sensitive to while growing up. It's usually one or two of five specific things. Here you go. You've got criticism, micromanaging, feeling neglected, maybe not feeling heard or even feeling dismissed. Middle children, maybe you can relate to that, or or not being appreciated. And we walk out of our childhoods with something. Firstborn, we, uh, we get good. Maybe secondborn, we get angry or we withdraw. Maybe the middleborn does that. Your birth order shapes even how you relate to that. The consequences here are that you bring these coping styles into your adult relationships as well. If you feel wounded, what you learned during your childhood. And if these wounds come from trauma... Oh my goodness, abuse or severe neglect or grief or loss. Well, this adds a whole nother layer. We can decide to not get close to others. We can decide right on the front, I'm not going to trust you or to cling so others don't leave. We try to be perfect. Sometimes we put up a wall of anger. If I'm describing you, the Bible gives you some hope. Look at this passage right here from Psalm 34. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. God hears you. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you had time in your childhood when you felt crushed, know that God is for you. Also know this, if you're in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s and you had that kind of a wounding experience in your childhood, might I just suggest to you, you might be a good candidate for counseling. And if you've never taken that action step in your life, oh, you might be wounding others and you don't even realize you're wounding them. Maybe lean in to that opportunity in your life. Listen, my family of origin shaped me. I've shared this with our church family before. My mom passed away my senior year of high school. This shapes me. She had cancer for like seven years, and we, we kind of lived through that trauma together as a family. I would be foolish if I didn't recognize that that, that shapes my marriage, that shapes my parenting, that shapes my ability and the way I pastor people. It shapes a whole bunch about me. Last week... Actually, two or three weeks ago, we were out in Las Vegas visiting some friends, good friends. These are like friends that are like family. And my friend Ray said, hey, listen, I found this app, downloaded this app on my phone. You take an old picture, you snap a photograph of it, and it's got this ability to even animate people in the photograph. And he did one, like this old uh, great aunt, or maybe it was a grandmother of his wife, and she'd really never seen a video of that lady before. And so we're watching this. It was really kind of cool a little bit creepy. Let me show you how this works. This is one of those old-timey pictures that I showed you earlier. And I zoomed in on this gal's face right here, and we animated her. Check this out. Look, look, Look what this did. Isn't that bizarre? It's almost like this is a photograph from 100 plus years ago. She was never videoed videotaped in her life, but isn't that wild? So I saw this and I thought, well, that's kind of cool. Could I take that up a notch? Those old pictures from our church directory, I thought, I never knew Shane Peterson when he was a little boy. Let's animate him. Let's see what he looked like then. Isn't that wild? 
He looks like a video. Some of you probably knew him then, and that maybe brings back memories. Then I thought, well, I'll animate myself. You saw the picture of me earlier in the picture. I don't know what I've got going on here. This is like party in the back. It's kind of a mullet happening here. I don't know what this is going on on top here, but uh, that old picture. We don't have a lot of videos from when I was a kid. That was kind of fun to watch. And then I thought this. We don't have a lot of pictures of my mom. We don't have a lot of videos of my mom when she was that age either. So I animated that. And i got to be honest with you, I was looking at that in my office, and I did what I'm doing right now. I got a little choked up. Because I look at that, and I think, um, not only do we not have a lot of videos of her, but I look at that video, and I think, I know what's behind that picture. She was doing chemotherapy treatments during that time. She's wearing a wig in that picture. Her skin looks a little bit tight, like she's been going through chemotherapy and radiation therapy treatments. That brought up some stuff as I watched that video. Our families shape us. And if you've gone through wounding things as a child, you better believe you've been shaped by that. Family climate shapes us. How the family did things. If you grew up in an unsafe environment, maybe as an adult you live hyper alert. I was shaped by my mom's illness. My kids have grown up around some mental illness, and I'm sure that they're being shaped profoundly like that. Our family climate shapes us. Role models shape us. Those people that you looked up to as a child, you better believe they are still shaping you today. Maybe you picture your grandpa or your grandma right now. They still shape you even from a distance, even from time distance. The problem here is that your solution say, I'm going to be like them when I grow up. Sometimes it can be too simple because it's viewed through a child's eyes. The way they did what they did when you were a child, well, that may or may not translate today as you seek to cope with the challenges of adulthood yourself. Our families shape us profoundly. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, your home is a little seminary. Little eyes are watching. Little ears are listening to everything you say, everything you do. It's important to remember this because here's another principle. No family is perfect. Oh, that might be the understatement of the century, right? No family is perfect. I'm a child of the 80s. Every time I walk into a Goodwill and I see one of those really gaudy sweaters, I immediately think that right there is a Cliff Huxtable sweater. Some of you know the sweaters I'm talking about. Some of you still own those sweaters that I'm talking about. Years ago when Bill Cosby hit the news, it was like, what? He was... Giving women medicine, doing what? Oh, my goodness. Cliff Huxtable? The Cosby Show? Listen, I know he was simply an actor playing a part. But no family is perfect. And for me, that even illustrates that underneath the veneer, there's stuff going on in our families. This is why I love our Bible. Just one of the reasons why I love the Bible, because the Bible is filled with stories of dysfunctional families. Maybe you can relate to some of these. If you open up your Bible, just a few pages, chapter 1, verse 1, you would think that the first family would uh, have an advantage because they've got God to serve as their parents. But Adam and Eve, they both ate the fruit, right? They both tried to pass the buck and avoid responsibility. Then one of their sons murdered the other and became a fugitive to avoid prosecution. No one dared ask 
How is Cain doing these days at Thanksgiving get-togethers? Then you've got Noah. You read just a little bit further. Noah, this is the first NASCAR family in the Bible. Middle of the day, he's drunk, naked, passed out in a tent. His son walks in on him on that, in that condition. Isaac had twin boys. You got Jacob and Esau. Jacob duped his brother Esau into giving him his inheritance with mom's help. So Esau set out to kill him. Then Jacob ran to weird uncle Laban. Perhaps you remember this story. And then when uh, he, he duped Jacob by giving him his ugly daughter to marry, probably when drunk, after seven years of work. Jacob had to work for another seven years to get Rachel, the good-looking sister, as his second wife. Doesn't that just sound like a soap opera? Some of you have lived maybe through that. Then you go a little bit further in the Bible. You've got Joseph. He's sold uh, to a band of Egyptian slave traders by who? Get this, his brothers who made his parents believe that he was dead. And we're only 166th of the way through the Bible at this point. You keep reading. You come to the archetype of all the good kings, King David. King David's family was a mess, the ultimate mess. His firstborn son, Amnon, was a rapist. His second son, Absalom, tried to take his dad's job and slept with his wives. His seventh-born, Solomon, simply married everybody that he wanted to sleep with. Even Jesus' family wasn't perfect. Listen, I've left my kids behind. Uh, my mom left me behind one time when I was at Walmart. It traumatized me. That's a whole story. It was my fault. But I feel better when I read through the story and I see that Jesus was only 12 years old when Mary and Joseph left him in Jerusalem while they were traveling back to Nazareth, which, by the way, this is 64 miles as the crow flies. They get like a full day's journey away, and they realize that he's not with them. I've done this before, right? But I've recognized that I've left my kids behind maybe in half that time. So that's good. <laughs> Hear me. No family is perfect. No family is perfect. But maybe you're saying, Pastor Stan, you don't know my family. Maybe your family of origin is dysfunction junction. Well, hear me. Your job, your job is to break the cycle of dysfunction. After the warning in the Ten Commandments, that the sins of the father would rest on the kids up to the third and the fourth generation. Well, that next generation is standing on the edge of the promised land, and Joshua draws a line in the sand. I love this leader of his family. This is what he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And then he goes on and he says this, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day. Decide whom you will serve, whether it will be the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, those false gods breaking the, the first two commandments, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're getting ready to live in. There are false gods everywhere you go. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I love that line in the sand. He says, none shall pass. I'm going to break the cycle of generation dysfunction. I choose to be responsible for my family. A couple of observations for this. First of all, he says throw away idols, right? Martin Luther, who talked about the Ten Commandments about 500 years ago, said, listen, you could take all Ten Commandments and you could basically say the first two, don't have any other God but God and don't make for yourself a graven image, an idol. He'd say, he'd say basically the other eight are just kind of repeats of those first two because everything else becomes a functional idol. You chase 
Adultery, that's a functional idol. You're trying to fill a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. Lying, cheating, coveting, all of that. These are false gods that we falsely worship. This, when Joshua says this, this is the next generation. The sins of the father go to visit the kids up to the third and the fourth generation. He's saying, listen, right now I'm drawing the line in the sand. None shall pass. I'm going to break that cycle of dysfunction. Families are a gift from God. If you've got a dad or a grandpa or a grandma or maybe a mom that's like has a spirit of Joshua in their heart right there, families can be a gift from God. The Bible has an awful lot to say about family. It has a lot to say about kids and how children interact in the family. My son, keep your father's command. Don't abandon your mother's instruction. What else does it have to say? In Exodus chapter 20, honor your father and your mother so that your life will go long in the fertile land that the Lord your God is giving you. Oh, my goodness. The first commandment with a promise, Paul says later in Ephesians, honor mom and dad so that it's going to go well for you. What else does it have to say about kids? Those who say I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. After all, those who don't love their brothers or sisters whom they have seen can hardly love God whom they have not seen. The Bible has a lot to say about kids and how they relate to the family. The Bible has a lot to say about parents and how you instruct and how you teach your kids. We're going to dive into this. Don't miss next week. As for parents, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them with discipline and instruction about the Lord. What else does the Bible have to say about parenting? Train children in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. Then there's this passage. I love this. No doubt about it, children are a gift from the Lord. By the way, if you're a parent, right now, the present, right? In this present moment, that's a gift. Lean into that with your kids. The fruit of the womb is a divine reward. The children born when one is young are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. The person who fills a quiver full of them is very happy, truly happy. They won't be ashamed when arguing with their enemies at the gate. Listen, we gathered our kids together. We adopted a bunch of kids years ago, and we did this big gotcha day party, and we put the four that we were adopting up on this deck in our backyard. We invited the whole world to this, and we prayed over them. I read that passage of Scripture. I don't have a tattoo on my body, but if I were to be talked into getting a tattoo, it probably would be something to do with an arrow. I like archery. That's kind of one of my hobbies. But I love the idea of thinking generationally. What's it look like to practice my parenting? There's something about the repetitive nature of shooting a bow and an arrow. You want to do it the same way every time. There are principles to be taken there and put them into the the idea of parenting. And listen, I know moms and dads, when you release that arrow, sometimes adult kids, they do their own thing and maybe they're not following Jesus. Sometimes when you release an arrow, the wind blows it around. But while you've got them young, Make sure you're aiming at the right target. When you draw that bow back, as you're training those kids, and then when you get the chance with those grandkids when they come back around, make sure you're aiming the right direction. The Bible has a lot to say not just about kids and parents, but also has a lot to say about family dynamics as well. Look at some of these verses. As for husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We're going to talk about marriage here in a few weeks. What else does it have to say? Friends love all the time, and kinfolk are born for times of trouble. It's valuable to have your kin, your family around you because 
because you might need them one of these days. Look at how good and pleasing it is when families live together as one. Harmony in the home was a pretty important thing. What else does the Bible have to say? Those who trouble their family will inherit the wind. The fool will be servant to the wise. Families are a gift from God. Sometimes they feel like good gifts, I know. Sometimes, listen, coal in the stocking at Christmas time, that's still a gift, but it's a bad gift, right? Sometimes some of you are thinking, my goodness, my family of origin, sometimes it doesn't feel like a great gift. But hear me, the big gift of family, or you might even want to write this down, the biggest and most lasting life change is relational. What you do in the context of your relational environments, this is what shapes you the most. So now, think about that statement. Not just your family of origin, but this is a family as well, right? Expand your thinking. We've been talking about nuclear families, but also the Bible describes this as a family. Jesus describes us as brothers and sisters. In Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 5, he says brothers and sisters. He describes them that way, and all through the whole rest of the New Testament. We're described as a family, the family of God. Home family. Church family. I love the title of this book. The gospel comes with a house key. I love that. The subtitle of that book is Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. In other words, the gospel, the good news. Well, you should have refrigerator rights. Let's do this life together. The gospel comes with a house key. I would add to that, not just a house key, but it also should come with a good coffee mug. I got one of these this past week, a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Thank you, Liz Olson, member of our church family here. She reached out to me and and, uh, left this outside my office. She knows I'm a coffee lover. It says, I've cut back to just one cup of coffee per day. And I measured it yesterday. I brewed a whole pot of coffee and discovered I could fill the whole pot of coffee into that giant mug. I'm down to just one cup a day. I love this. As we think about families, as we think about mugs, we want to do something here in our church. We want the church to feel healthy like a family. The gospel comes with a coffee key or a, a coffee or a, a key to your house that also should come with a coffee mug. I want to challenge you this week to pick out your favorite coffee mug and bring it back with you next week. I'll explain why here in just a minute. But let me tell you this: families are designed to grow. Not just nuclear families, right? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby and a baby carriage. Healthy things grow. The same is true of church families. We grow in numbers and we grow in community, and I want to strategize on that here in just a minute. Let me remind you real quick how church families grow. First of all, sometimes we grow by inheritance, right? We grew up in a family that loved God. This is my story, my family of origin. They loved Jesus and taught me to love Jesus. We also grow up uh, by association. The family grows by association. Sometimes we just hang around with other church people, and some of Jesus bleeds off of them onto us. Sometimes we grow not by uh, that, but we also grow by adoption. We're adopted into God's family, all of us, whether we grew up in a church family home People who love Jesus, or we were around somebody who loved Jesus and we got brought into the church family, we are all adopted and we become joint heirs 
of Jesus is what the Bible says. I love that image. I love the idea that we are joint heirs, that of all the people on earth, somehow God has chosen us to know him and to love him and to share the good news of his grace and his love with others because families are designed to grow. Here's the challenge this week. Give thanks to your family. Yesterday was National Siblings Day. Maybe you need to reach out and just say thanks. Maybe you need to reach out to mom and dad and say thank you. Maybe you need to broaden that thank you to somebody who extended their reach to you inside a church family and brought you into the family of God. This would be a good week to simply say thank you, to show your gratitude. But don't stop there. As an act of gratitude, recognize that God's family is still growing and actively contribute toward that. Because family homes should feel cozy. So, I want you to pick out your favorite mug this next week. Those of you who are joining us from at home, you could do the same thing. When you come back and join us in person, you bring your favorite mug with you. And I want you to contribute to the cause because we're going to have a wall out there where we're going to put a bunch of these mugs, and you're going to leave it there. And the the idea is that you're going to walk around, and you're going to see somebody walking around with your mug. And you're just going to be able to call it out and say, hey, that was my favorite mug. I'm so grateful to see you using it. And let me tell you about that mug. I got it at the Grand Canyon or wherever you happen to get it. My wife made a mug that she's contributing to the cause. Just a couple of weeks ago, she got this back. She made it. Uh, Somebody in our church family, uh, one of our um, high school students, made a 3D with his 3D printer in the Jamie Stuber family. I showed you that picture a bit ago. And he made the stamp that she was able to use to stamp the Venture logo on that. She's contributing that to the cause. That'll be hanging out there. And one of these days, you're going to be walking around. You're going to be using that mug to sip your coffee. And she's going to walk up and say, Hey, I made that mug. Let me tell you about that. Or maybe even better yet, somebody's going to be holding that in the lobby, and it's going to be your friend or your family member that you've invested in and you've invited to come back and join you at church. And that's going to become a conversation starter. This is why I love my church. Let me tell you about that mug. Let me tell you about the good people of Venture. Let me tell you what God's been doing in our lives. Let me show you around. Let me be hospitable. This is what we're aiming at. By the way, don't miss any week the next five weeks. We're going to be continuing in this Family Matters series. Next week, of course, we're talking about parenting. You heard Daniel talk about that a bit ago. We're bringing in a nationally recognized speaker. His name is Jim Burns. He's going to be doing uh, a seminar later in the day. Listen, don't miss this. This is a great resource. He's got like 2 million books in print, all kinds of resources. He's a nationally recognized speaker, and we've got him here at Venture next week. Maybe you know somebody that you want to invest in and invite to come back and join you for that next week. It's going to be incredible. The following week after that, we're going to look at marriage. This is an important family dynamic, right? We're going to be launching a new ministry and a strategy that week called Grace Marriage. You don't want to miss that particular week. Then the week after that, we're going to be talking about family finances. We're going to get some super practical help with a biblical view of finances. We're going to talk about the mamas and the papas, the biblical value of parenting as moms and dads. And then we're going to wrap the series up looking at generations. What does it look like to dream about leaving a legacy behind? Again, up to the third and the fourth generation. Speaking of generations, I want to wrap up our time today by inviting Joy Fell to come up here and join me on the platform. This is Joy and her husband, Addison. Can you guys give them a warm venture? Welcome. Yeah. 
So you probably know this. Uh, for the last year plus, we have been doing a nationwide search for our next children's pastor. Would you like to meet her? This is Joy. And, uh, you know, Pastor Tony's been doing this for years. He's stepping into a full-time direct, the, ch the, the, children, or the uh, preschool role. Joy is joining us. Today is her very first day on our staff team, and you'll get an opportunity after the service here to greet her well. But we did a nationwide search and uh, discovered this is exactly who God has in store for Venture to lead our children's ministry into this next season. And uh, she comes with all kinds of experience. She grew up in a children's pastor's home, right? And so she's got all kinds of stories, maybe some scars there, some experience that she can bring to this role. She served on, uh, had a key role at the Columbus Zoo for a number of years. So tell me, did you ever get to meet uh, Jumpin' Jack Hanna? Yes, I did. And he yeah. wears as much khaki every day as he does on TV. <laughs> I saw him as a kid, watched him on uh, like David Letterman all the time. Is he as goofy in person as, as he looked on TV? Probably goofier, to be honest. <laughs> Very cool. What are you most excited about, about serving in kids' ministry? Uh, honestly, I'm most excited about VBS, Stan. Just VBS, camp, all of the fun times that you get to have those intimate moments with kids and volunteers. Those are the things I'm most excited about. And we've got one of those coming up, like, real soon. Yeah, just a couple couple months. A couple months. We'll be doing another VBS, Venture Bible School. How many VBSs have you been a part of in your life? You grew up in a kid's pastor's family. Get to show my age here with this question. Um, I've been, personally, as a child, a part of probably 29 VBSs. I've served on a director's team for about five VBS um, VBS is at Worthington Christian Church in Ohio as their missions director and music director. I like to do the dancing and the singing and the fun. Awesome. So um, you've got a captive audience right here, not just those that are in the room. You've got people online joining us. Some of them are coming back from spring break right now. Anything you want to say about VBS to the room? Yeah, you know, our, our goal here at Venture is that we really, truly believe that every single child deserves to hear about Jesus. And our goal at Venture Bible School is to be able to accept every single child that walks through that door. But the honest truth is, is that we can't do that without you. And we need you guys to volunteer this year more than ever. And the secret magic behind VBS is that it's not just about the kids, it's, it's about the grown-ups too. And for one week, we get to put our serious adult selves aside and take on that childlike faith again and participate in what I like to call controlled chaos and just enjoy the fun with them. And so we need everybody, even if you can only help for one night, we just ask that you go ahead and register at venturechristian.church forward slash VBS and just let us know what you'd like to do. If you have no idea what you want to do, um, just email Tony or myself and we will plug you in. Don't you worry. <laughs> I love that. Generations matter, and we're investing in that as a church. I love that. Her first day on our staff team, and she's already recruiting like a champ. I love that. And she's serious about that. We're serious about that. We need your help. So I want to end our service today simply by praying for generations, praying for a fruitful ministry, what God is going to do in and through them as they serve and as they lead here in our church. And I'm going to invite you to join me in that. If you're joining us online, can I just say this? Um, if you have an action step today, if there's something that has been stirred up in you, you want to pray with somebody, if you hit our Zoom link, uh, we would love to schedule something with a pastor this week to encourage you and to pray with you. Maybe you want to put your faith in Jesus for the very first time today. That's your action step to follow that as well.
Those of you, if you're in the room and you're stirred up similarly, when we're done here in a minute, I'll be underneath the platform or, or the, 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 state, the, the cross over here, and I would love uh, to pray with you and encourage you. And maybe you've got an action step of faith as well. Uh, come over and see me there. I'd love to pray with you. Can we just one time, one, again, just welcome the fells to our church? Yeah. And I'm going to invite you to stand up with me right now. And if you're, I'm going to sneak behind you guys. If you are feeling okay with this, if it doesn't feel too goofy to you, would you just extend your hand toward them? Those of you at home, do the same thing. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for what God has in store. And then we're done. God, I thank you. I thank you that you have designed the family, not just our nuclear families, but our extended family, our church family, uh, to bless you, uh, to honor you and to reach generations for Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for the Fells. Lord, I pray for Joy as she leans into this new role. I pray that you use her in amazing ways to further your kingdom here on earth. And I pray that you grow her in the process as well. Lord, I pray for Addison as he leads his family as well. And, Lord, I just pray that you encourage his heart as well. God, we look forward to seeing what you do in us and through us in the days and the years to come. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you're in the room and you want to come up and welcome them, they'll be hanging out right here afterwards. Everybody else, we'll see you next week. God bless you.